Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now What's going on, everybody? Howdy ho. We are back again. This is going to be episode 93. We are going to finish up our coverage on the Mothman this week. Yes. But before we do that, Kevin, talk about some headphones. The studio headphones. Go get them over at studio.com. Yes. And you will not regret it. Definitely well, not. You know, we've been wearing them ever since, uh, what? Uh, You've had yours for going on two years. Um, what week two, three? What of of uh, recording? We've something our, like that. Something like yeah, you you've had yours for going on two years. Yeah, I've had mine for just about a year at this point, and I absolutely love them. Yeah, um, and we're using old ones. Go buy some new stuff. <laughs> yes, we're using their first gen regents, the fucking OG regents. regents. Yeah. Not the second year generation. Go over to Studio, like I said, do studio.com and uh, browse around, see what they got. They have a p- new pair of earbuds that are noise canceling. And if you want to spend less money, I know this is bad, but if you want to spend less money than AirPods, go check them out. Because and they're, they're going to be better quality. They are for sure better really customer good. service. I can attest to that. They are really good. Um, I've heard reviews on them and everything. They do the same thing: charge in the case, uh, charge. You can charge the case. You can. The cool thing is, the case can also be charged wirelessly. So if you have yep. a wireless charger for your phone or whatever, you can put it right on that and you can charge it wirelessly, which is pretty cool. Also, if you saw the video that was on uh, Facebook, Kevin, Facebook and Instagram, I'm getting good oh, at this shit. Well, Kevin got a. Um, New little toy. I, I ordered it a mm, about a week or so ago. I ordered the Studio Femtio, which is the Bluetooth speaker that they yes. designed and developed. This thing is fucking incredible. Yeah, that's so that's new, and the Et is new. Are yes. new too. That's the, the Bluetooth uh, uh, wireless. This bad does. boy is fully charged in four hours. Yeah, fourteen hour runtime with a thirty meter range. You can be, what the fuck is that? I'm not good with metric stuff. I don't know what. You can be a ways away from your phone or the speaker, either or, and still have a crystal clear connection. It charges with the uh, the USB-C charger, whatever it is, the same one you get for like a, a Android or a Galaxy or whatever. It's all, I think it's mostly all Android phones. And that it's now. got a, uh, obviously it's still got the auxiliary port, so you can plug into that as well. Um, I did get to play with a little bit today. 
it is so loud. <laughs> I've never had a Bluetooth speaker that is as loud as this thing. Like you have it cranked up and usually when you get stuff really loud, it gets crackly and kind of staticky, crystal clear at top volume. And it's, I mean, I, I felt it. It's, it's, it's solid sturdy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all there. Yeah. And it's a really nice design. That's like, it just feels, it's, it's cool to hold. Sound comes out yeah. on the ends. I'm nope. assuming. You have the, the speakers in the front. Oh, These are yeah? subwoofers on the side. Oh, nice. So you, you get extra, you know, you get a little extra out of it, but yeah, it's, it's got like almost like a carpet. Yeah. Wrap around it, which yeah, is kind of cool. Fucking sexy. And I can tell you right now, if you use dark windows 15 at checkout, when you buy this speaker, you will get it for $109, including shipping. That's not bad. Not bad at all. That's why I was like, you know what? I got my shit in from work. I'm going to order my speaker so I don't have to use my shitty wired ones anymore to edit. <laughs> there there you go. So. Yeah. So, so you got the Ets that are the brand new noise-canceling earbuds. You got the... FemTO. FemTO speaker. Brand new. And they also have... Several of the different. They, uh, it seems like varieties. they're putting out new earbuds and headphones like yeah. almost monthly. Not so much in the headphone. Uh, I mean, at least earbuds. These earbuds, guys are yeah. cranking out new headphones like constantly. Yeah, the, yeah, the earbuds are you know coming out left and right. They um, are the John Grisham of making headphones and earbuds. Yes, yes. Like you think you think oh the new one just came out well guess what I got sixteen more ready to go. Yeah, I just got to put covers on them. So <laughs> get get what you want. Put it in. Uh, your checkout basket. Go into the uh, into the checkout and put the little promo code of Dark Windows fifteen in to get fifteen percent off your entire purchase. Yep. And you know, there you go. Boom. You know, you're all set. You got a pair of headphones or earbuds to listen to our dumbasses. You know, talk about some weird shit. Unless you want to make your neighbors across the street listen to it, then you get that speaker because I'm telling you, they will. And then guess, <laughs> and guess what? During this time, quarantine. They'll drive them freaking nuts. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Fuck your neighbors. They probably suck. They'll be like, can you just make them stop swearing so much? No. And then you hear her say, fuck you. Fuck, <laughs> fuck, fuck your neighbors. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, so we are going to, like I said before, we are going to get back into and finish up our Mothman stuff now. Um, so we left off last week talking about um, a woman in Ohio that had... Um, that had a, a strange encounter kind of where she was in her, she was staying with her sister and uh, brother-in-law yep. Yep. and uh, heard a CB radio crackling and couldn't kind of couldn't make out where it was coming from and found out that it was actually off and locked in the case. Yeah. So we're going to kind of jump off from there. So after that happened, there was a, you know, another handful of sightings or so around the Point Pleasant, um, Eastern Ohio area. And then, December 7th, 1966, John Keel rolls into Point Pleasant. Now, John Keel is pretty much the man when it comes to talking about Mothman stuff. He literally wrote the book on it. If you've ever heard of the book or the movie, The Mothman Prophecies, John Keel wrote that. So he, he knows what he's talking about. He interviewed fucking hundreds of people in town about this. So he... What really got his attention was the um, was hearing about the Scarberry Mallette sighting. Mm-hmm. So from there, he kind of he hopped in his car and he cruises down from New York City, and uh, he pops into town on the seventh. It's kind of it's kind of vague. It said the seventh or eighth because he got in so late on the seventh. So it was like yeah. middle of the night. He kind of rolled in. 
Um, it is what it is, you know. It's either it's either one day or the other. Right. Doesn't matter. Now, from his own book, he said that his arrival in town gave the locals uh, some pause. I guess uh, he was an outsider who was arriving in town wearing a pressed, clean black suit in a time where people like this were causing confusion and generally disturbing the town folks. Because you have to remember how many people yeah. have been having encounters with these other guys. Mm-hmm. And harassed. And- exactly. That are dressed like him, except they are all fairly clean-shaven. Uh, John Keel, at this point, had a little goatee and, like, a... You know, his hair wasn't super long, but it was... It probably would have been considered long for, like, the 50s. It wasn't like mine, where you look like a fucking caveman. But it wasn't, uh, like, military buzz cut, like, flat top or anything like that. So his first stop in town... Well, the next morning, once it was daylight, obviously, yeah. was to talk to uh, Deputy Halstead, who was the officer that took the Scarberry Millet report and then went back out to the TNT area with them and had that really weird, um, staticky electric noise come out of his CB mm-hmm. when he was trying to get a hold of somebody at the station. So he he asked Halstead a bunch of questions, um, and uh, when it came up to the like asking of, has there been any UFO sightings in the area? Halstead said, not that I've heard of, only the bird. So at this point in time, he's still thinking it's a bird. From there, Keel would go out to the uh, home of uh, Mabel McDaniel and her husband. Um, and he knocked on the door, and she was kind of hesitant at first because it's a stranger. It's, yeah. not like the, it's not the kind of area where you run into a lot of strangers. Everybody in town pretty much knows everybody. Um but yeah, it's what? What year is this? Nineteen sixty-six. Uh, yeah, sixty-six. Still, eh, you don't not if you're a woman. You know, any, it's still any time. You know, if if you're just a woman by yourself, you're you're still kind of I, you know, from like looking at my, my mom or whatever when my dad wasn't around. Oh no, her 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 husband worried. was still there. Oh, but she was just she was just the one that so happened to answer the door. Oh, okay. So okay, okay. yeah. So. After he introduced himself, um, they kind of just chatted for a few minutes. Within an hour of him showing up, cars start rolling up to the McDaniel house. You've got the Scarberries, the Millettes, Keith and his uh, uh, Keith and Connie Carpenter, and Mary Heyer. Who Would was she call? Huh? Did she call? Yeah, she called she all call? these people and said, "Hey, there's somebody here asking questions. He's." An investigator, he's not. She got a different vibe from him yeah. than they did from everybody else that had been rolling into town and being kind of weird shit yeah. bags about stuff. So, like I said, within an hour, all these people roll up to the house. Mm-hmm. So the group's kind of sitting around talking about their encounters and the sighting, and uh, they all tell a very similar story where they saw a giant, like a huge, flying gray, red-eyed creature. None of them had any real intense detail mm. other than the red eyes. Okay. But other, other than that, the general description was all the same. Yep. He would actually go and uh, kind of pull everybody individually, take them into another room where he had a tape recorder set up, yep. close the door, and interview each person separately. Yep. That's where he got his 
descriptions from everybody. It wasn't like sitting around round table style where people could throw ideas back and forth on each other. You want to separate them. Exactly. Because you don't want to have somebody jumping in. Yeah. Or conflicting shit like that. Having people go, but wait, wait, was it like that? And well, no, I saw what I saw. Exactly. I saw this and then, you know, but, but that you want to get unfiltered, uninterrupted, unmolested detail. But that also can lead to something good because if you actually really do pay attention, sometimes you can get um, scenarios where by listening to different people all at the same time, sometimes you can get, yeah, okay, different things changed, but you can filter it out to say, okay, hey, this is, you know, this is all the same. This, this jives, all their, what they're saying all jives with this particular portion this is changing, but why is it changing? Right. <clears throat> Which also is a good thing to separate them out because then you can say by getting them separated, you can get the actual, you know, scuttlebutt. Okay, hey, this is, you know, this is what I saw. This is what I saw. And this is what I saw. Then you can go back and you know, listen to it and right. everything. You, you, don't, you don't have people uh, muddying up other people's exactly. inter- like a, yeah. uh, encounter. Yep. So after he talked to everybody, he comes up with this idea like, hey, how do you guys feel about if we get the whole group together, we take the whole class out to the TNT area so I can see this thing myself? Yep. And of course, they, they all agree, you know, thinking, yeah, we got some, uh, you know, we've got, a, you know, fucking numbers. So if it shows up, there's still 10 of us. Yeah. We'll be okay. So after they all pile into into a few different cars, they arrive out at the ammo dump at around 9 p.m. They had to sneak through the locked gate to get to the power plant um, because the police had had so many people out there snooping around that they finally just said, to hell with this. You can go out through the TNT area, obviously, because there's people that live out there. There's people that work out there. Mm-hmm. We don't want you fucking around in the power plant, the generator buildings and all that. So they gated it off. So they basically just walked around to the gate. <laughs> so it wasn't like... You couldn't drive out there, but you could walk out there. They just didn't want you driving out there, apparently. Who knows? I know plenty of those gates. Oh, fuck yeah. I'm, I'm very familiar with a few. Yes, that uh, that can do that. I used to do that going into the rec center. Yeah, haunted house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't exactly, you can't exactly, you know, when it's locked, you can't go drive through it, but you can Fucking walk, walk around. right around it, or if you're on a bike. Or bike around it. Whip right around that bitch. Yes. Very true. So somewhere in the in the couple weeks before they got out there, the locals had kind of stopped going out to the TNT area. They kind of maybe lost interest or were afraid to see it or something. They just kind of stopped going out there. So the group of 10 gathers outside the door of the power plant. Um, a couple of them have flashlights, including John Keel, who had a... Uh, the fuck did he say it was? I think he said it was like a... a I think you said it was a mag light, like a, like one of those like small little mag lights they would have had back then. Mm. So it wasn't like a super powerful flashlight. It wasn't like one of these fucking 40 quadrillion candle power things that you can, you know, melt a car with, like what my wife walks her dogs with at night. Um, but it was a, it was just a little like handheld kind of flashlight. Yeah, those fuckers, if it's anything like what my, like my grandparents used to have one that you could beat the living shit out of somebody right. in this thing. Actually. Because they're so goddamn... And it took, like, I think... 
like about four like D batteries. Yeah, at least four D batteries, and if some of them were actually made of freaking metal, which you know, those that was sturdy as shit. Oh, it, well, Sorry. the old army flashlight. I mean, so I, I I just had to sneak outside the studio because I have a flashlight that I'm like this is probably similar to what he had. It's one of those old, like, army-issue L-shaped flashlights that they would have had back in, like, Vietnam, where you could have had, like, the different color, like, uh, plastics you put in it to change the, the beam color and all that. I still have those somewhere, by the way. Yeah, but this one, they probably would have had one that was, like, a, you know, like a switch still like that. They're right there. <laughs> still, yeah, yeah blue and red. Probably still like that, but, uh, um, but, yeah, they weren't very bright. I mean, I remember just having one, you know, my grandparents having one back when I was a kid, you know, as Kevin would say, back in the, you know. Back in the fucking 30s. 30s. <laughs> uh, fuck you. Um, but yeah, I can see I, I see what you're talking about, though. See, th- this is just the first one that jumped into my head was something like this. I mean, it was the 60s. You could have picked one of these things up at like a hardware store for fucking like a dollar, pretty much. I have no clue. As opposed to the fucking 30 that i spent on this thing when i bought it at the actually no i didn't even i didn't even pay for this because the old lady at the army navy surplus gave this to me when i bought my footlocker um okay i have no clue if they even sold those okay so let's get back on track here so they had flashlights scooby-doo in it yeah they're scooby-doo in the shit out of this Scooby, Scooby. So as they're kind of standing around, like, game planning what they want to do, Keel said he could definitely tell that the the rest of the group was really nervous about this. He wasn't bothered oh, so much oh, because... <laughs> of course they'd be nervous. Jesus. Who the fuck wouldn't be? You know, I mean, goddamn. He said he wasn't real nervous about it because he was so used to creeping around weird places like this at night by himself. So having a bunch of other people there, he was like, whatever, this is not going to be a big deal. So okay. John Keel is prepared to enter the, the power plant. Yeah. Connie and Keith are the only other two that were like, yeah, we'll go in with you. So they walk into the uh, into the plant and uh, Connie and Keith kind of stick together. They're like going through different rooms, you know, by themselves. And Keel is just fucking... <laughs> Out through there with this flashlight, looking at shit, trying yeah. to find any kind of sign, uh, any kind of like, possibly actually even seeing it. He went fucking top to bottom. He's climbing up these rusty old ladders to get up onto the catwalks and stuff, looking for like scat and tracks in the dust. He was thorough. He's just like, what the fuck's the worst that's gonna happen? I'm gonna see a monster. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> dude, John Keel is fucking awesome. So as they, uh, I mean. Everything in there is completely silent except for them talking. And then they could hear somewhere deeper in the plant. There's like some water dripping. Uh-huh. Almost like something maybe it collected in like one of the old whatever the fucks and was just dripping out. So after searching it for a couple, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, John decides, hey, guys, let's get out of here. We're not there's nothing in here. Let's try a different building. Uh-huh. So they're making their way towards the exit. And just before they get to. Um, there was like a little vestibule once he got in before you got out to the exit. Um, so they get to like right about there and Connie screams. She's screaming. She said, the eyes, the eyes, there they are. There they are. 
So Keel, so John Keel and Keith basically carry her out of here because she's so hysterical and get her back outside. And uh, as soon as they're out, John Keel is hauling ass right back in by himself, flashlight in hand, trying to see where she saw these eyes, if he could see the creature they're connected to. And, you know, or more importantly, trying to say maybe there was something that my flashlight reflected off of yeah, yeah. that would have like refracted into two spots that would have looked like eyes possibly be, being being thorough about it yes because you, you don't want to you know you don't want to uh, jump to conclusions be you know be like okay hey this is what i thought this is what i saw you know and uh just you know i mean you don't want to do anything like that you right be it's as thorough as you possibly can. So he goes back through and obviously doesn't see anything. Um, when he comes back out, on the other hand, the group has now been joined by a police officer, uh, deputy. And again, some of these names are fucking fantastic. Deputy Alvis Sullivan. <laughs> like he's got one of those names where if you had written a, a book about a uh, like a fictional World War II hero. You could have definitely named him Elvis Sullivan and been like, yeah, I believe that. Did you say Elvis or Alvis? Elvis. A-L-V-I-S. Elvis with an A. Okay. Elvis. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's just an older name or something that hardly, I don't fucking, I never heard that name before. It was West Virginia. This dude is born probably in the 30s or 40s. He's going to have an old name. Well, it depends on how old he is. I mean. So, I mean, if you're, that would have put him at like. 2030-ish if he was born in the 20s or 30s in the 60s? Yeah. I'm just saying I don't know how old he is. Well, the, I can't imagine he was very old. Um, so Keel is like, officer, let's go back in. She saw something. Let's go check it out. And he completely refused. Like, no way. Ain't happening. Not going in. Yeah. Well, this conversation's going on. Keel looks over and realizes that nobody else is paying attention. They're looking out through this fence out into a field behind the power plant. Okay. And he goes, what's going on? And one of them says something to the effect of, we saw something like real tall running across the field. They also said that there was a loud metallic sound that came from the plant when John was back in there. Well, it's... John didn't touch anything that would have fallen or tipped over, and he didn't hear it himself. So these these people heard a loud metallic sound come from the plant that he was in, and he didn't hear it himself. But could it, misdirection-wise, could it have come from a different direction than him, where he was? And he, being so deep in, couldn't have heard it? You know, it there's a lot of variations, a lot of variables there were. My opinion, it almost sounds like maybe something heavy had been on the roof. And taken off. And when it came back up, the like the metal roof sprung with it. That's where that's where my mind went. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, not exactly knowing where the sound came from. Like right. If it was on the roof. If it was, you know, in because they said if they said inside, they said it came from the plant. Okay. So, well, so that's anywhere. Right. It could have came from outside the plant, in which inside the plant you might not be able to hear it. But my thing is, if it was that loud, and he didn't hear it. Yeah. Was was there something going on in the plant that blocked him from hearing it? Wow, or it's just he was so far in the plant. 
that he couldn't hear it. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those half a dozen, one or the other, you know, type yeah. of things. Where so, you don't really know be, to be specific about it. Yeah, that's fair enough. So as as they're standing there trying to make any kind of sense out of the situation, Mary Mollette reaches up and just touches the side of her face and realizes she's bleeding. So, you know, John thinking maybe, you know, maybe she scratched herself. Maybe she got bit by a mosquito something like that. Goes over to this flashlight and he's looking at her face and realizes that there's blood trickling out of her ear. That's where she, this is where shit's going to get real weird. Okay. So her husband, Steve, takes her back to the car and they leave. And the rest of the group kind of starts to panic at this point. So Keel had explanations for everything. He said uh, Mary's ear, uh, ear bleeding could have been caused by um, an air pressure change. Connie had hallucinated or had some kind of psychic episode where she saw the eyes and the metallic sound didn't come from inside the plant or he would have heard it himself. So after regrouping back at the McDaniel house, they kind of talked about everything a little bit more and then dispersed for the night, except for John Keel. This crazy bastard gets back in his car and drives right back out into the TNT area. So as he's driving around, he said he didn't see anything, but he did have a very strange experience. As he rounded a corner near one of the igloos, he got a, like a very intense feeling of dread. So he kind of like got on the gas and fucking got right out of there. Yeah. This is one of the roads that kind of loops through. So you can kind of stay on it and do a circuit and just keep going through. So he says, okay. Cause, because after he got past that area a little ways, the feeling went away. So he does another circuit through, drives through the same spot, and as soon as he hit that his, his landmark that he had set, it happened again. So he again drives, gets out of it, and decides to make one more trip back through it. Again, got the same feeling, except when he got to the outside of it where it stopped, he stopped his car. So he decides at this point, he's going to walk back into what he is referred to as the zone of fear. So he, as he's walking, he feels fine. Doesn't feel anything building up. And as soon as he takes one step too far, there it is. Like he just walked through a wall and all of a sudden you are in a panic attack. He stepped backwards out of the zone. It was gone. Steps back in and it happens again. So then he decides to walk all the way through it to the other side. Hits the edge and it goes away. Turns around and comes back through and he gets into the middle of it. And it is the most intense that he's felt it. He said it was so bad that he considered standing there right in the middle of the road until daybreak so he could get to his car. That's how freaked out he was this last time that he walked through it. So he eventually, you know, fucking nutted up and got out of there, gets to his car, goes home, for, goes back to his hotel for the night. He was staying on the Ohio side of the river. Yeah. He came back the next morning and drove through the same spot and found absolutely nothing. 
Didn't feel anything. Didn't see anything. It was just absolutely normal driving through. I mean, part of me wants to say maybe he was he went back and he was looking for something. So his 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 brain said, "You're going to find something." You know, brain kind of I don't know came up with it, manufactured it. I mean, that's... T- what, what do you mean, the next day? No, that day, that night. Because he, there was already um, already uh, like all this stuff going on and everything else where maybe he is manufacturing it. I, I don't know. I mean, John Keel seems like a pretty straightforward dude. And to me, this reminded me of our little hike that we took in West Routland where he hit that, like walking through the woods and all of a sudden it's like what the fuck is going on here and then we kept going and it stopped then when we came back through we hit the same spot but we had nothing that time nothing when we came back through but to to the best of his estimation the only thing he could figure out is he was there was some kind of uh something emitting some kind of subsonic beam or frequency in that area that freaked him out almost like um okay i've heard of that you know like like you like you walk into like yeah. an electromagnetic yeah. field almost and you're just like what the fuck's going it's on here em- i don't like yeah, it EMF, yeah emf like kind of a they, uh, that thing so the same day as his uh daytime visit back to uh back to the tnt area there would be a series of ufo sightings on the ohio side of the river one of which was a cigar-shaped craft with what looked like, quote, crumpled up foil over the windows. Okay. So this is like the first few UFO sightings in the area while all the Mothman stuff is going on. Okay. Mary Heyer that same day would take a report from a Dr. Morgan, who is a psychiatrist in Parkersburg, said he was watching a football game on TV when he heard a loud voice speaking to him. Not through the speakers of the TV, but over his through his own head, saying that it was a, saying that it was from a spacecraft above. So this dude's just fucking minding his own business, watching a football game, and somebody pops into his head, and they're like, "Hey, we're up here. I'm talking to you. Bye," and just takes off. <laughs> so right about here, I think would be a good place to take our break for the episode. And we're going to come back and finish up with a couple more strange things. And then one of the most tragic events in West Virginia history. So we will be right back. Okay, so. We're back. We is back. So this is probably going to be a little bit quicker than our other two Mothman episodes. But we covered a lot of stuff in those two episodes. Yeah. So let's jump back and talk about Connie Carpenter again. Okay. So after her sighting in the TNT area, she began to experience a burning, itchy sensation around her eyes. Had a lot of, like, you know, runny eyes, and they were just really itchy and dry. Couldn't figure out what was going on. She goes to her doctor in town where she's diagnosed with conjunctivitis or pink eye. Yep. But it wasn't, like, regular, like, the shit you would get in grade school pink eye. This is something called Klieg conjunctivitis, which is caused by 
extended exposure to very intense or ultraviolet light. It's also called actinic conjunctivitis, eye burn, arc flash, welder's conjunctivitis, and it's got a couple other names that are a bit more scientific that I'm like, I'm going to be drinking when we're recording this, so I'm not even going to put those on there because I'm not going to be able to read them anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, he'll have had a beer. Yeah, but still. A, a half a beer. But still, my tongue starts just going, blah, blah, nope, fuck you, can't talk. <laughs> so some of the more common causes for this kind of conjunctivitis would be um, like people that use tanning beds where if you don't use the eye protection or if you open your eyes and leave them open for uh-huh. too long or um, welders, pe- yeah, exactly. People that would be, that would be using acetylene torches, you know, like, cause it's so bright. And if you're just like snapping on, you're like, Oh, Hey, check that out. And you stare at it. There's a very good chance you could get this shit. Cause this is not a, this one's not so much a bacteria. It's actually like, it's like melting your retinas almost. Yeah. And that's what's causing it. Because it's, it's so bright that, you know, you don't, like for welding, you don't want to. No, you got you got to wear goggles or a mask. Yeah, so you don't you can, fucking destroy your eyeballs. Yeah, or you want to. I mean, look off in distance. You want to look away from it because it's it's just very very bad for you. What are you, my dad? <laughs> the same guy who, when he's like doing woodworking and shit, like, hey, where, where are your uh, your safety goggles? Oh, they're right here, and he'll just kind of squint and close, you know, like squint a little bit and look away from it, so he can still see where he's cutting, but his eyes are barely open. No, that, I, that's how I grew up. <laughs> no, my father was, you know, a welder, and yeah. he was like, "Yeah, you're gonna put this fucking mask on, yeah. or you're gonna look away," because you know he welded so many goddamn race cars that. Oh no! I, like you know, what I was I saying is a lesson. What I was saying away. is, I've seen my dad do shit like that, where he's got like got a torch, and he'll put his hand in front of it so he can't see where he's going. But he's just cutting shit anyway. Oh, torches, I'd look at it. You know, like an acetylene torch or something like that, like a fucking I, a welding torch. Well, acetylene torch is you cutting shit. I mean, you're talking about a TIG welder. It doesn't matter. It's it's the the frequency that the light is coming out at is what screws your eyes up. Yeah. So she'd only seen the eyes for a very short period of time. It was more like got a glimpse of them than turned and they're there and she just like stared into them. Yes. So it was, it was just very, very quick. And she ended up dealing with this shit with her eyes for over two weeks, which is a long ass time for conjunctivitis. Um, anybody who's had like regular pink eye, it's what a couple of days. You get your fucking droppies and it's gone in a couple days. Yeah. It depends about the severity of the conjunctivitis. But this shit, this shit sticks around you for a long time for some reason. Well, it's because it's it's in your retinas, I, right? You know, I mean, it's it's a little more fucked up. So, over the course of the two weeks that John Keel was there in Point Pleasant, there was a series of sightings with around twenty witnesses in town, and these would continue up until after he left Point Pleasant. Yep. So we're going to jump ahead one more time. We're going to jump ahead thirteen months. Okay. This would be one of the most tragic events in West Virginia history, and it is still to this day the deadliest bridge disaster in U.S. history, and it occurred between Point Pleasant and Gallipolis, Ohio. The Silver Bridge... Gallipolis? Gallipolis. That is the correct pronunciation. I I was like, 
Not Gallipoli or... <laughs> a lot of people would have pronounced it Gallipolis. It's Gallipolis. Okay. I, I have right. been told. By who? I know people in Ohio. Oh, you know people? <laughs> yep. I know folks. Back so the bridge would service somewhere around up to about 4,000 cars a day. Okay. It was built in 1928, and it earned its nickname the Silver Bridge from the metallic aluminum paint that we that was used to coat it. Uh-huh. Because um, it looks like silver? Yeah. And Guessing? I, yes, and it would kind of help with the um, mm, rust and corrosion protection, kind of. Uh-huh. So the bridge had been sturdy and rugged since the day it was built, but on December 15th, 1967, all that was going to change. Hold on, when was it born? Well, yeah, when it was, was it, it born? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. It's a bridge. It wasn't born. <laughs> Listen, asshole. How do you judge a bridge? How's a bridge born? Well, when a daddy bridge and a mommy bridge love each other, they hug, and then yes. a baby bridge comes out. You a foot bridge comes out. Yes. <laughs> and then that foot bridge grows up to be a big boy bridge. Yeah. When was it made? It was built in 1928. 28? Okay, so this is... Okay. So it was less than 40 years old at this point. Okay, yeah. All right, yeah. So I was trying to figure out. I'm like, 48-year-old bridge. Okay. All yeah. right. So at around 5 p.m., there's obviously... Fucking rush hour. Exactly. God damn it. You've got people coming home from work. You've got people going out Christmas shopping. Or going to... Well, let me going to work. Maybe. If you're working like second shift or something... Well, now you're already at work. Yeah, that's true. You're already at work. That's true. So you got mo- mostly people coming home from yeah. work or the folks going out Christmas shopping. Um, and as cars are crossing the bridge, one of the vehicles that pulls up to the bridge was driven by Charlene Wood, who was every report that I said said somewhere between six and eight months pregnant at the time. But when she got to the bridge, she was going at about 15 miles an hour because it was a, I mean, it was a busy bridge. They obviously have cars in front of you, so you don't want to crowd people. Yeah. As she pulled onto the bridge, she noticed that it was shaking. And apparently this really wasn't anything new. Um, uh, A salesman named Ben Cedar, who, uh, he was like a salesman delivery guy. Yeah. He would cross the bridge pretty often, uh, sometimes like three to four times a day. He said, quote, I was worried about that bridge every time I crossed over. If you got stuck in the middle of that bridge, it would wave back and forth, back and forth. Charlene Wood had only made it a few feet onto the bridge when she noticed that it was shaking. So she decides, I got to get the hell off of here. So she puts the vehicle in reverse and starts to back up. Um, she got off the bridge, but was only about four feet off the bridge when she heard an uh ear-splitting metal groan come from the bridge, and then it just twisted and collapsed into the freezing river below. Wow. She was one of the luckiest people ever. (laughs) She's one of the very few people that made it out of this completely unscathed. Well, I mean, would she have actually been hurt, though? No, because she was was off of the bridge. She was away from the bridge. No, but would she have been hurt even if she was, like, only, like, four feet? Oh, yeah, that would have sucked her car right into the water. You think so? Absolutely. Okay. So one person that was less lucky would be Bill Needham, who was driving a delivery truck across the bridge when it collapsed, and it threw him into the river. He was able to escape um, because he had his window down a little bit. Yeah. And uh, he said, I didn't know how far I had to go up, but I could tell that the water kept getting lighter. 
He used a nearby box from his truck as a flotation device and was rescued about 15 minutes later. He was pulled on shore because he'd kind of, um, he'd like floated yeah. down a little ways. Um, unfortunately, his partner, Rob Tao, who was one of the, I'm assuming is a, like a delivery helper, didn't make it out of the truck. Huh. Oh, so this is a flat bridge. Yes. So it's kind of like a, not really so much like Lake Champlain's bridge because Lake Champlain has got a big arc in it. An arc in it. Yeah. This is really a flat one, huh? This yeah. Is, this is uh Howard Boggs, who was in the passenger seat of his car, had his 17-month-old child in the back seat, and his 18-year-old wife Marjorie was driving. Their car was heaved into the river by the collapsing bridge. When Howard was pulled to safety by a rescue boat, he told the crew on board, I just hope to God that Marjorie and the kid get out okay. Their bodies would be found in the car six weeks later. So this close to Christmas, this poor bastard loses his infant child and his wife. Son of a bitch. State Trooper Rudy O'Dell may have been the first officer to respond to the respond to the disaster before the bridge collapsed it shook violently violently turning the deck over and over sending dozens of cars to and passengers into the water so this thing was shaking and as it was it was kind of like coming up almost like a wave and it was throwing cars off the sides of the fucking bridge as it's doing it yeah i'm, I'm looking at fo- like photos yeah it's of, of the aerial photos and it looks like it like you said, basically twisted it because the, the, um, I guess the support structures on the side of the bridge. Mm-hmm. Actually, the if you're looking at going onto the bridge, be the right hand side. Those are f- totally folded over. Yeah. To the opposite side, and it's like from because it well the middle span is completely gone, and it's all the way back to so say. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so it does ramp up a little bit. But it, it's still fairly flat. But There's not like a... At least maybe 50 yards, maybe maybe a little less from the actual main road to where the bridge stopped mm-hmm. from the collapse. I'm going to say at least 50 yards. Yeah. It might be a little bit more. I mean, still... For it to go all the way back there and rip, you know, all that. God damn. Yeah. Um, Officer Odell would actually go on to say, quote, I could hear them hollering for help. I didn't know how many there were at the time. There was absolutely nothing I could do. It was a long way out into the, uh, it was a long way out into the water. Mm-hmm. Another rescuer, Bill McCormick, observed, quote, people hanging on to flotsam from the tractor trailer trucks that had been on the bridge. So these folks are just holding on to whatever the fuck they can get a hold of that's floating to get out of the out of the water. Because I mean, the Ohio River is fairly wide and fairly powerful. So if you're not careful, I could imagine you could get sucked on, like sucked underneath and not come back up for fucking miles. Uh huh. Um, yeah. I've been over the Ohio River before, and it's a big, big river. I have actually never been over the Ohio River. I crossed it in uh, Pittsburgh. It, it's what strange is. Just looking at this, I don't know. I'd have to confirm with others, but you know, if if you know anything about this this area, you can tell me more. But it almost looks like uh, 
to I don't know if it's the north or south. I'm not really I don't really like know my direction on this, but just looking at the you know the photo, it looks like there's like a a railroad crossing, uh, on like a trestle. Yeah, on like on one side of it, and it's kind of odd that that didn't go down. That still stood. Well, it, but the bridge went down. We'll get into why the bridge went down. I mean, which is you know. It's kind of weird if there's something like, you know, know, earthquake or something like that that should have taken that also as well. Right, but it it wasn't an earthquake. Yeah, uh, I'm just saying because, I mean, just kind of, you know, odd if something – that would be my first impression would be earthquake. Right. You know, took the bridge down, you know. Well, in all – 31 vehicles would go plunging into the 44-degree water of the Ohio River on that day. 64 people went into the water in their vehicles. Of the 64 that went in, 46 died. Which, again, makes this the deadliest bridge disaster in U.S. history, hands down. Uh, President Lyndon Johnson released a statement saying, All Americans were, quote, shocked by the cruel, tragic loss of life. Which is saying something from fucking Lyndon Johnson because he was kind of like one of the biggest scumbags that's ever been in the White House. No, is this is this more than um, the? Well, no, never mind. Hmm. Never mind. No, I was thinking of something else. I was thinking of the uh, the Oakland uh, freeway collapse, but that was that's not a bridge, right? Sorry. Oh, no worries. Um, he would also assemble a task force on bridge safety to mount an investigation into what caused this and if they could find any other bridges where this is going to possibly happen. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you wouldn't want something like this to, you know, happen anywhere else. Right. That's that's just not what you want because, I mean, if you go to a bigger city, what if the Golden Gate Bridge or the Brooklyn Bridge or, you know, some of these ones that are more heavily – Yep. Crossed that and, are also higher above the water with higher traffic and longer spans. Yeah, I mean, you don't want. You imagine if the fucking Golden Gate gri- uh, Bridge collapsed during rush hour, how many fucking people would die? Jeez. Oh my god, it's thousands, thousands easily, yeah. thousands. E- yes, definitely. That's uh, fucking crazy. Um, be astronomical. Yeah, I mean, the Brooklyn Bridge alone. Yeah, you know, if I mean, that's not a tremendous span. I've seen it. It's not tremendous. I mean, it's not that big. Right. But the number of people. It's busy. Yeah. The number of people that cross it. Wow. Yeah. So forensic analysis was able to trace the problem to a very, and when I say very small, I mean very small stress stress crack at about three millimeters deep inside the bearing loop of I-bar 330. Mm. So I'm going to post pictures of what these I-bars look like and- I actually found a picture of the one that broke. So, I mean, I mean, three millimeters is small, minute, <laughs> but it only takes, you know, exactly. When you have minute. that much weight on, when you have that much weight and pressure on something, yep. anything, any like fucking crack or anything like that, it's gone. That's why when you drive under like, um, under like a railroad trestle, they have all those signs saying, if you see any damage, report it immediately. Yeah. Because if somebody, you know, that train goes over there and there's something not right and it fucking collapses, Mm -hmm. you got a problem. So the crack had grown um, 
it had grown around an impurity in the steel um, that had been aggravated by the elements and the nature. Um, and obviously, with the wind, with the bridge moving like it did, you have a little stress crack, and it's just kind of it wiggles itself loose a little bit, and then shit breaks. And I bet you somebody had something to answer for that, that because that should not. I mean, thirty-nine year old bridge. I don't. I, I really it shouldn't just have broken the way it, it did. Broke, but yeah, it shouldn't have done that. So, the, just, so just a little background on like a little bit of the bridge's construction. The I bars that were used, um, they were like a, it was like a long steel plate, and uh, they're two inches thick with a twelve inch face. So they're twelve inches long, uh-huh. two inches thick. Yeah, that's a thick chunk of steel. That that. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I fucking fucked up my own reading here. So they're two inches thick with a 12-inch face. So I'm guessing that means they're probably 12 inches wide. And they range anywhere from 45 to fi- um, 44 to 55 feet in length. Okay. So that's a, that's a good chunk of steel. That's a couple tons. Yes. Probably. I mean... It, uh, it, it's fucking heavy. I would say <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably a crane lifting Oh, it. absolutely. Into place. There's no, like, you know, four or five guys lifting that into place. No. So the ends of these I-bars ended in loops, allowing 11-inch in diameter pins to join them together to the next I-bar. Uh-huh. So you'd have your I-bars overlap. Yep. And you'd drive a fucking pin through them. So, more, more strength. Yeah, you get a, a much more structural integrity when you yep. have them overlap like that with a big pin driven through them. Yeah. Um, they also bore the hanging weight of vertical supports that held the bridges uh, that held up the the bridge deck itself. Um, while other bridges that have been built using the I bar chain suspension have lasted a long time, there there is actually a lot of them. Um, this is uh, this method of building bridges is kind of not done anymore because of stuff like this. Um. There is a couple of other bridges in the area that use it. Um, one of them is the uh, the Three Sisters Bridge in Pittsburgh, which was constructed around the same time within a couple of years. Um, but they were much shorter, and they used eight I-bars per section, where the Silver Bridge only used two I-bars per section. Yeah. So even though this other bridge was smaller, it's much, much stronger because they're using more I-bars per uh, bridge section. Than yeah. the other one was. The most worrying part of the conclusion was that there was no way for engineers or maintenance crews to have found the defect in the steel. Save for taking the entire thing apart. Um, so basically, where it cracked was on the inside of the I beam, the I bar. So you have your maintenance guys that are going up and down the bridge looking at stuff. They wouldn't have seen it because it was on the inside between the two eye bars where it broke. Easily missed. Right. There's no, like, missing it isn't even an option. You can't see it because it, it cracked where the two eye bars met. It was on the inside between the two where it met, so you couldn't see it. Well, like I said, it's easily missed yeah. because you can't see it. I mean, it's, it's you know, there's no blame to put onto someone because they had to do their due diligence to make sure, okay, hey, this is structurally sound, everything. There's no cracks, no nothing we can, you know, specify, see. Yeah. Well, when it's overlapping, 
and stuff like that, you can't see it. Yeah, the, the only way that they would have seen this is if they had taken that section of the bridge apart for like um, like a repair or something. Or and then caught had, it and go, oh shit, we need to replace this eye bar. Well, or if they had probably the technology of today, which kind of allows you yeah, to like, deep scan yeah, or something. Yeah, something like that. But obviously, 1960s, we didn't have that. No. Um, historian Henry Petrosky said, if ever, uh, if ever a design was to blame for a failure, this was it. Yeah. I mean, you got a long bridge. It's not supported the correct way. It's taken a lot of weight. It's taken a lot of abuse. You got the wind blowing against it. You got, you know, thousands of cars going across it a day. Something's got to give. And unfortunately, it was Ibar 330 that gave. So now that we have the engineering side of the story, we can talk about the rest of it. Someone had reported a sighting of the Mothman near or even on the bridge in the days leading up to the collapse. Okay. One of these witnesses claimed to have seen the Mothman perched on the bridge in just about the same spot as the failed I-beam. Do I think it was the Mothman or do I think it was a structural issue? I'm going with structural issue. Um, but even stranger still, with this whole high strangeness shit that's going on with this bridge, Mary Heyer would tell John Keel when he came back in November of 1967, before this happened, she told John Keel, I had a terrible nightmare. There were a lot of people drowning in the river and there's Christmas packages floating everywhere in the water. It's like something awful is going to happen. So she had a premonition. Yeah. She wasn't the only one. There was other people in town that were having very similar dreams, including, remember we spoke about uh, Virginia Thomas last week, the clairvoyant. Yep. She said that she had had a vision of people dying in the Ohio River. Okay. Before all this happened. Listen, <sighs> I'm telling you right now. Chief uh, Cornstock there, he got his fucking wish. Yeah. Um, yeah, fuck with people. This is what happens. I do I do have a list of the people that were killed during the bridge collapse. Yep. Um, I was going to read it here. I'll post it on Facebook just so we can kind of... Pay your respects a little bit to yeah. the people that, that died Irish, in this yeah. freak accident. Yep. Um, I, uh, yeah. So after everything was said and done, they have all the wreckage cleaned up of the bridge. They started rebuilding almost immediately. Um, the Silver Memorial Bridge, which still stands, would be finished in 1969 and was uh, a, a much more... Uh, modern, sturdy design. It's a cantilever bridge. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's where you got like all the beams that come together and they're welded and pinned and fucking, yeah. you know, and ain't going anywhere. So that's what the bridge is now. It's like I said, it's more like, um, I don't know, any like newer bridge you go through or, or across. Um, the first one that kind of jumps into mind for me would be when you're crossing from New Hampshire up into Maine, where you actually go across the section of the ocean. That's a cantilever bridge because you've got like your V's and your A's, V's and A's of, yeah. of the steel beams and everything with your big arches through them. So it's, it's a lot a lot stronger than the um, the I-beam design is. Yep. But it doesn't even end there because after the Silver Bridge, the sightings in Point Pleasant kind of died off a little bit. Um, maybe people weren't paying as much attention to the skies. 
Maybe people didn't go back out into the TNT area as much. Maybe they didn't want to see it because they didn't want to relive everything that had happened, where a lot of people were placing the blame for the bridge collapsing on the sightings of this thing. So maybe people were stopped seeing it because they didn't care. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want to think about the people that they knew because everybody in town knew somebody that died here. Yeah. On both sides of the river. I would guarantee it. Probably. Not not being from the area, not knowing, you know. But I mean, you got to think the way I look at it is but they're small town USA. I mean, Yeah, I'm they're, they're not they're not big towns. They're more they're like um almost like a Rutland for us where you might not know people, but you've definitely seen them around. You know. Or you just not know them, but you know somebody that probably knows them right. or something. You know, along those lines. But this would not be the last of the Mothman sightings worldwide. You want to talk about a couple of a uh, couple other ones from around the world where there's been sightings and then there's been some shit that's happened. Sure. Okay. Because th- th- some of this shit's really interesting. So leading up to the disaster in 1985 and 1986 in that area, a large black winged creature had been seen flying around the area of Chernobyl, Ukraine, right before the plant. It had been seen by um, not just plant workers, but also people that were living in this, the surrounding area. So you had people that were in like Pripyat that had been seeing something flying around that was really weird that didn't make any sense. Yeah. Also... You've got people having these god-awful nightmares. They're getting these really strange phone calls, kind of like what everybody else was getting in West Virginia, where you're getting all this weird humming, buzzing, popping, Mm -hmm. or it's just a dead line with somebody breathing on the other end of it. And during the disaster, some people actually captured images that look like a creature flying through the smoke of the reactors. (laughs) <laughs> you can make a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was definitely like man-made. They, they fucked up. They overdid it. Right. But so was the bridge. That's why people think that this is more um, a warning. They see it as a warning, like something fucky is going to go on. So I got to show up and like try to warn everybody. But I don't know how to do it the right way. I just scare people because I look like I do. Well, there was human warnings I, uh, from what I've heard, you know, because there was the show that was about. The we'll, we'll be thing. we'll be covering that at I some mean, point, I'm sure. There was war- human warnings because others had actually like said, hey, listen, asshole, you know, this is going to happen. This is, you know, you keep doing this. This is going to happen like Fukushima. Fukushima was bound to happen. Yep. Because shit's not being stored correctly. They're not using it the right way. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Well, you know, just like uh, was it Three Mile Island or whatever in New York. Yes. Or whatever it was, that almost went up because they weren't doing the right fucking menu, you know steps. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't live, so I don't remember it. But you know, when you don't do what you're supposed to do. Things tend to fucking happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it people's imagination running wild, or did they actually see something? I don't really know. I, I got a few more. Okay. September 8th, 9th, and 10th, 2001. 
people claim to have seen a black-winged humanoid flying near and in between the Twin Towers in New York City. Okay. So, again, maybe another warning sign that something fucky's going on. Again, that was also man-made, man-done. Well, yeah, but this was also, uh, you know, fucking idiots on <laughs> using a plane to smash into yes. the building. But, I mean, those technically should not have come down. Right. But if you if you take it as being that harbinger of doom that everybody else does, you can make a connection there, too. The I-35 West Bridge uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, on June 27th, people reported seeing a strange winged humanoid around the area near the bridge before it collapsed a month later, killing 13 people and injuring 145. This bridge was open the same... I'm sorry. This bridge was open in 1967, which was the same year that the Silver Bridge collapsed. So, there's your, you got some coincidences going on there. Okay. All right. This one didn't make any sense. I'm not going to bother with it. Though. Now we're getting our tinfoil hats on. Yes. Marcus Poulas, an American visitor to Japan, claimed to have heard a horrible high-pitched sound and whooshing and then saw a creature that looked much like reports of the Mothman near the Fukushima plant that experienced the disaster on March 11, 2011. He saw this four days before that. Hmm. <laughs> so, I mean... Is everybody fucking hallucinating or are you actually seeing something that could have a connection to some shit that's about to happen? Or And that I mean they've they've been having Mothman sightings in Chicago for the last couple years too. Is something weird going to happen there? Or is it like our scenario like we mentioned last show, hmm. which is they are the watchers from like fringe like i said they they are they're warning it's, you it's, it's not they they're not there it's not there to interact it's just there to say okay hey this is pot this is gonna happen I, you know whatever you know it, it's just there you know right i mean still haven't even come to a conclusion what fucking mothman is really is if it's really even you just you just brought up my next point so with all that said, it's time to decide what the fuck this thing even is. A lot of skeptics are saying it's something like a large eagle, I'm sorry, a large owl or a harpy eagle. The harpy eagle thing I could kind of see because if you ever see one, it's like this giant big fucking gray bird and the tufts of like feathers on its hair come like on its head come up and almost yeah. like cone over the top of it. But, but they're not, not native to the area and not, like not, not even fucking close. And they're only even, like three, four feet tall. Yeah. Not even as tall as what they're saying. Um, the one that really drives me nuts is like, oh, it's a sandhill crane. Sandhill cranes grow to be about three and a half to four and a half feet in height, and they weigh about 10 pounds, and they look like a crane. So they're real long, fucking spindly birds. Um, yeah. These are also known as the ribeye of the sky because apparently they're good eating. So. Okay. No so clue. we need to go Mothman hunting. And shoot us a sandhill crane and barbecue that bitch. All right. So I'll take the wings. Yes. So <laughs> some of the more exciting explanations range anywhere from um, aliens. And keep in mind, 
less than 200 miles from there, 15 years earlier, you have another one of the most thoroughly investigated like alien encounters in U.S. history, which would be the Flatwoods Monster. Um, and also the way that it took off when it flew, where it would just go straight into the air without flapping or anything. It was just, t- it would take off straight up yep. into the air. Okay. So to me, maybe alien. Okay. And then maybe once it's moving, it has to flap to generate some kind of energy through the suit or whatever to keep it running. I don't know. I'm not a fucking alien doctor. Couldn't tell you. This one's fun. Um, it could have been a bird that was mutated by the chemical runoff from the explosive factories. That'd be a real weird fucking bird. Um, another possibility that a lot of people have kind of thrown around would be Thunderbirds. Um, because th- there's not so many Thunderbird sightings from West Virginia, but Native Americans from all over the country, Northeast, Southeast, fucking Central area, whatever, they all tell stories of these giant birds causing havoc, and a lot of them took them as a sign of... Um, like impending doom or some kind of tragedy about to befall you or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and some people think that it may have been an angel sent as a warning of an upcoming tragedy. Some people think it may have been a demon sent to cause an upcoming tragedy. Um, this one's really cool though. I like this idea of it being a tulpa. Have you ever heard of a tulpa? I've heard of it, but I don't remember. So basically a tulpa is like a thought form entity that people believe that they can create by focusing their thoughts and energy into creating something like you could write a backstory and go, okay, I want this to be real. I want this to be real. I want this to be real. And just believe in it so much that you can create it. Whether that's all in your head or you can physically create it is a completely different story. I think that'd be a fun topic to talk about at some point in time too. Um, So... (laughs) So that's uh, that's Mothman, but before we go, what do you think? Well, okay, hold on. I got to stop. Just, yeah. Okay. So Let's back it up. I've, uh, I looked into it a little bit, but I didn't really, like, delve into it. But there was a – there's something in California, and I, I can't remember what the fuck area it is. It was like a – pond river something like that where there was actually something kind of devil they called a devil but whatever that was kind the of the pine hills devil no 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 um, so that's a dinosaur i think no no this is this is some kind of creature thing or whatever that i think i believe something happened there you know after people saw this thing so which kind of you know says okay Maybe it's just something that's, I don't know, happens and something happens, you know, throughout, you know, history. Right. Maybe we can go back through history and find more and more, you know, if somebody actually looked into it, delved into it more, they could find it. Do I believe that it's possibly alien stuff? This sounds about right. If you're seeing UFOs and all that, yeah, it could be a suit. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I I don't prescribe to the not other. Not an Edgar suit, but a suit. No, not an Edgar suit. Definitely not. Definitely not an Edgar suit. It's no. more like um. I do, don't know. do you know how you stop something in an Edgar suit? Shoot it. You harass it at boot camp till it shoots itself on the toilet. 
Same guy. No, no, you, you piss it off so much. Well, you, you crush its relatives. But I'm not wrong. You you crush. It's the same actor, Jesus. <laughs> you crush its relatives. Yeah, then, I like my idea better. And then you go inside of it and you blow it up from the inside. Yeah. That's how you kill a nigger. I like my idea better. <laughs> Mine's much better, I'm sure. Anyway. <laughs> but I mean, shit, uh, then, I, then he I, went up when he, he went on to become a kingpin of uh, New York crime, so. True. He was pretty good. Yeah. But. Better than Michael Clark Duncan, and I love that dude. Don't get me wrong, but he was yeah, better. I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would. I, I'm definitely in the camp of of alien suit. You know, interacting, watching, you know, just trying to figure out things. And could this be our first case? Or, you know, one of our few cases where aliens have tried to interact more with us i mean they, they communicated well because people were getting all these like like metallic like humming and popping and shit well, yeah, but then you you had, people having shit talked like spoken directly into their heads from nowhere yeah but then you had what's his name uh what's his name there um woody darenberger woody darenberger which i believe that motherfucker after watching that thing mm-hmm. i'm telling you i told you dude he's so fucking straight laced that it's like it's like listen to your fucking grandpa tell a story you're like i believe everything you're saying well my grandpa was you know he did tell stories or like an yeah. uncle or something like somebody was around <laughs> back then where you'd go i believe everything you're saying yeah it's like for me, it's like listen to my my uncle Fred tell a story from back then. And you're like, okay, I believe you. I mean, it, 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 yeah, I, I just believe that you know, yeah, they they used one per one like a a being to speak to Woody, but the uh, something else wanted to be there, so they couldn't. For whatever reason, you know, be in our environment, right? So they had to have the suit, right? So or, I mean, or hear me out. What if injured cold is some kind of like Mandalorian hmm. here trying to catch this thing? Hmm. They've been tracking it, predator styles, and they're like, they pull this dude off, and they're like, okay, thinking to himself, we've seen this here, we have reports of it here. Uh-huh. I'm gonna stop this dude in his fucking sewing machine truck and be like, hey, buddy, what's up? Okay. What's this thing over here with all the lights and shit in it? Oh, that's a town. What's a town? Okay, are there people there that have seen a real fucking weird thing? Not yet? Okay, cool. Forget I said it. Have a good one. We're going to go on a spaceship ride sometime. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he was like some kind of like fucking bounty hunter or a handler trying to catch this thing. Maybe that's before it butt fucked a bridge and killed a bunch of people. It's a possibility. See what I mean? Yeah, or maybe someone else. Or maybe the Mothman is injured cold. Maybe that's like his Iron Man suit or some shit. True. I don't know. I also I also don't mind the idea so much of uh, like an ultra terrestrial, like something that has always been here, but we are just starting to see now. Kind of like. like that's what a lot of people would consider or, like well, Bigfoot, or we're not. No, it's or it's not that we're just starting to see it now. It's just people are. We're just reporting it now. Are reporting it now, or they're, um, be, becoming more cognitive of it. Yeah, you know, it, it's 
one of those things because I mean, some people, yeah, it they probably did. Some people did probably report it, but it was just blown off. Like, oh come on, you know, it's some, it's this the devil. It's you know, because it's some, an angel. It's a demon. Yeah, because during di- different portions of history. You know, if you said something like that, well, you're you're nuts. You know, you're you're in the league with the devil. You're a fucking witch. Yeah, you're gonna get burned to the stake. Well, I mean, how do you know she's a witch? Well, she turned me into new, or you know, or she she floats, or something like that. You know, get on know. with it. <laughs> I can but, still make Monty Python references, so fuck you. But I mean, you know, it, it's I, I you know I can kind of you know in both camps yes exactly exactly at that same time but the other stuff it's not a fucking eagle it's not whatever it's not a crane no it's just i it could be this or or if it's an owl is the biggest motherfucking owl that has ever existed and he's like doing steroids or it's just people thinking that they saw something and what they it was just a Mass hallucination, kind of. Yeah, or, well, not even hallucination. It's just, you Mass know, um, kind of like a deja vu or something, you know, where they think they saw something, mm-hmm. or, you know, it, just their mind playing tricks on them. Well, the, the reason that I was so intrigued with, like, the Tulpa idea was what if there was people in the area that, well, the tul- that knew of the cornstalk legend of putting a curse there, uh-huh. and they just kind of put an idea to the curse, and they created this. Well, with all the shit that happened before that and the shit that happened after that, I mean... Can, can a geographical on. area be so fucked up that it creates something like this? Could be. You know, that's it's beyond my fucking brain capacity to think about shit like that. Or it could just be a goddamn chief that's saying, putting the middle finger up to all those That's white what I'm people. saying. Is like... Because he did say, I'm, I fucking curse you. I curse the ground that you live on. I curse the ground that you fucking go into. Yeah. Could something like that have actually created a monster that would come and take vengeance 200 years later for a dead Indian chief? Well, it's not only him, though. But he's the one that put it there, as, if we're going down that road. But it's not only him. It's also his peoples that are still unrested. You know, because it doesn't seem like they are arrested. Uh, you know, I mean, so who knows? We we can speculate all oh, fucking yeah, day long. Definitely, um, definitely. I mean, it's one of those you know, one of those ones you could just keep yeah. going back and forth on. And I can tell you right now, once this quarantine bullshit's over, my first long road trip that I'm taking, I want to go to the Mothman Museum. Damn right. I really like. I love West Virginia. I've been. I've only been to like a very very. Small little corner of it, but I want to see more of the state. And if you fucking play John Denver, you know I'm gonna. <laughs> you motherfucker. You know I'm gonna because I will fucking. Uh, I love me some John Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, but Virginia. I, I mean, I just, I really want to. I want to check it out. I want to go see the museum. I want to see the statue. I want to talk to people that live in town and be like, I want to hear your like. What do you know about it? I know that you probably weren't around when it happened. Like, it may have been, like, an uncle or a grandparent or whatever. But, like, yeah, what do you know? Like, tell me your side of it. I want to hear it from a local. Yeah. Which sounds weird, but whatever. Um, hey. 
And if, you know, if we go, there's people that are around the area we, that want to hang out with us. We, we've got a listener that lives fucking like uh, less than an hour from there. So, I mean, you know, I'm just saying. But hang out with the the two Kevins. Yeah. You know. The two most mediocre podcasts of all time. Podcasts? Podcasters? Same difference. <laughs> We are the show. Um, <laughs> we are the people. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much all I could dig up for Mothman. Um, I know it's one of those ones that, like... Make up your mind. Fucking everybody and their brother has covered doing paranormal shows. Like, everybody's talked about Mothman. Everybody's talked about Bigfoot. Everybody's done Flatwoods. It's kind of why I was like, I don't really want to do this until we can, like, actually do it. And then I saw this really weird thing flying over, and then fucking like three weeks later, some dude eats a bat, and now I'm out of work. So maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe we can blame the fucking Mothman for this. Uh, no. Or maybe I was just standing outside drunk in the dark. Or maybe you're fucking really high. No, I wasn't high. I haven't smoked in a while. Yeah, whatever. I haven't. Our our weed is all like icky now. Icky, icky. It's dry and like no good no more. No bueno. But, um, oh. but yeah, that's uh, that's what we got from Mothman. Um. Yes. And hey, tell us what you think. Yeah. You know, get on that Facebook and tell us what you think, or email us at darkwindowspod at gmail and tell us what you think. Oh, another super like cool thing you can do. You know how we always tell you like, oh, if you forget what you know what these links are, this that the other, you can contact us here. Uh huh. Guess where else you can contact us? Where you can go to darkwindowspod.com because we got a motherfucking website. We've got links to all of our shows. We've got links to our merch. We've got links to Patreon. We've got links to Studio, so you can go buy some fucking headphones. You can email us directly through there. It's pretty cool. Damn right. <laughs> so, um, other than that, I mean, obviously Facebook. We're always there. Um, I'm Kevin Carlton. I, I live on the Facebook page. i got nothing better to do with my time right now. Um, uh, yeah, I'm Kevin Hire, and I, I, I've been I've been interacting. <laughs> I've had some, you know, conversations. Yeah, not as many as Kevin, but you know, I'm a talker. You know that. Yeah, You're I'll, a I'll fucking talk to anybody that'll listen to me. Um, I mean, I, I I'll talk to anybody. I know I don't give a shit. So, with all that, I mean, obviously, then we have to do our. <sighs> darkwindowspod.threadless.com go get some t-shirts go to patreon.com find us there dark windows podcast throw us some money get an extra episode get a sticker whatever you want to do cool next week we've got a really really interesting show planned uh it's going to be a first for us that we've never done before it's gonna be cool it's gonna be cool it's gonna be it's a, one of our second first what do you yeah. mean second first what do you mean yeah. It's like second breakfast. What are you talking about here? It's our second first. What was the first first then? Our first first was having to have someone else besides us on the podcast. A co-co-host. Yeah, but he just fucking like, he was here forever. So he's not like even a special guest. He was like a no. part of the fabric. Well, I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. A co-co-co-co-host. When we had Justin on. He was a special guest. Yes, but we never had one. We haven't had one That's since. That's having a special guest. That's not a co-co-co-co-co-host. Whatever. Or how many fucking co's you put in there. Um, 
We co 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 co. We've got a really really fucking cool interview set up for yes. next week. Our first interview. Our first interview. I've, I haven't interviewed somebody since like high school. <laughs> I, uh, so, yeah, this is gonna be interesting. Um, yeah. I, I, so before we do that, I will definitely post a link to the documentary that we both got to rewatch again because it's that good. And also, I want to make sure that we're up to our shit when we get to get to talking to this gentleman. Up to our shit. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be. Don't, let's, let's, let's it's it's, it's going to be cool. It's going to be very, very interesting. Um, and it's also going to be nerve wracking as fuck because I'm worried about interviewing people. Eh, don't worry about <laughs> it. You got it. I'm here for you. But, uh, also, it's very. It is. It's not local to us, but it's local state. It's state local, yeah. You know. Why? Yeah. yeah, we're we're talking to an outsider about our state and some shit that goes on here. Hey, so he lives here most sometime. I don't know, but yes, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to get uh to get an outsider's take on a Vermont folklore legend. So, yes. with that being said, we are gonna go now. <laughs> uh, we've got shit to do. Call of Duty isn't gonna play itself. Listen, yes, it will. And also, researching isn't gonna get itself done either. So, we are going to go bye-bye now. Bye-bye now. Just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. But Mossman sure as might as hell. With them big fucking eyes, I'm sure he could. He'll see right through your ass. He'll fucking melt your retinas. But remember, if you see Mossman, be aware. The bridge might go down. Now, I wonder if you can get rid of Mothman by just turning off the lights. Hey, I know you probably thought the episode was over, but... I, on behalf of everybody here at the Dark Windows Podcast, wanted to just say thank you to all of the frontline workers, uh, essential employees like uh, people in healthcare, um, food service, postal delivery, um, anything like that. If you're out there still doing your job and keeping everything going, thank you. Uh, <laughs> there's not much else we can say other than thank you and stay safe. <laughs>